Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody? It's Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. What's going on, man? Yo, man, what's going on? It's uh, We are now in the high holidays, and uh, I don't think we realized what kind of week this was going to be. But, um, you know, we, behind the scenes, made some alterations to talk about some really important stuff, I think. Yeah, absolutely. We were all set to do our year-end wrap-up. Even though we got a month, you know, we always go back and forth on what the timing is for this, because if you wait too late, then it's the holidays and nobody's paying attention. If you go too early, then inevitably somebody drops something off that's dope. So it's always a balance. But, uh, you know, as the cycle goes, we uh, hip hop had other plans for us. Um, I'll be fully transparent. I did not get to witness this moment live, but Jake was watching real time. And, uh, you know, we've covered a lot of verses over the years, uh, you know, a bunch of them. And typically we go round for round, score, Jake and I debate, we talk about the moments. This one was different than any other verses that we've seen thus far. And so we're going to cover it differently. But with that said, uh, Jake, so first of all, I want to ask you, so the reason why I didn't watch it is I'm a Bone fan and I'm from the Midwest. um, But really it was Easy e that got me into Bone. You know, I'm, I'm at my core, a New York and a West Coast dude. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Midwest for me was Chicago. South for me was a, was Atlanta, but I'm talking Outkast, uh, Jermaine Dupree, that kind of stuff. And also Houston with, uh, you know, Ghetto Boys, Scarface, stuff like that. I was never really into the Memphis sound. I didn't, I didn't uh, it just kind of bypassed me. Nothing against it, it just wasn't what was, you know, super pleasing to my ear nor the New Orleans sound. So like, you know, the whole cash money, no limit thing kind of passed me by. I love currency. I love Jay Electronica. So sort of the second generation of New Orleans cats. But uh, it seems to me that you were actually uh, like a significant fan of both. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I lived it. I mean, my coming of age hip hop story, you know, while I knew hit records and, you know, I knew the Young MCs and the Raw Basses and the Sir Mix-a-Lots, those crossover records, for me, the big breakthrough year was like 95, 96. And boom, I mean, you are 95, of course, is the year we lost Easy e um, You know, E99 comes out, the Bone Thugs and Harmony, even though they had put out the EP in 94, that was a takeover. And like you, I mean, it's funny. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you say that's Midwest, some people will say, no, nah, that's, that's closer to the East Coast. Obviously, it's not coastal. Um, to me, it's Rust Belt. And, you know, I grew up less than two hours from downtown Cleveland. I grew up going to Cleveland. Um, my mom, I had family there. You know, I was in, I spent a lot of time in Cleveland growing up. And, you know, up in the 90s, you know, apart from like Sam Snead and Melman and a few people, Pittsburgh didn't have rap representation. So to watch these guys from Cleveland blow up the way that they did, um, you know, I absolutely was a fan. And then when you went into record stores in Pittsburgh, they had everything. I mean, all the Mo Thugs, all the side projects, the 
the bootlegs, all of that. Um, so, you know, absolutely on that front, I'm probably closer to you on the Memphis scene. You know, I, one of the first free CDs I ever got as a writer when I was a teenager was from Kingpin Skinny Pimp, you know, which is one of the Memphis OGs. But it really took me until the mid 2000s to appreciate um, to the fullest Three Six Mafia, Eight Ball MJG, you know, a lot of that Memphis sound. And today I listen to it quite a bit. I listen to Houston, like you, Big Dungeon Family Guy. I like what's happening out of Miami. I think we're probably the same on New Orleans. That continues to be a journey for me, bounce music. But, um, you know, there's a lot to love there. But yeah, that I was definitely a Bone fan first and a Three Six Mafia fan, you know, later in life in my 20s. Yeah, you know, when Creeping on a Come Up came out, uh, you said 94. Mm-hmm. That was incredible to me. You know, I think it was four songs, it was an EP, uh, but For the Love of Money and Thuggish Ruggish Bone were my joints. I just ran those back to back to back. Um, you know, and again, that to me was an extension of West Coast. If you listen to it, it's got a G-Funk sound to it. Mm-hmm. You know, the low end bass line with the, the, the high end synth on top of it. So it was, for me, a really easy bridge into it. Um, you know, for 3-6, I'll say that, you know, similar to you, um, I, I wasn't really paying close attention to their catalog, but as I watched this verses, I was surprised by how much of their stuff that I knew. Um, you know, I knew Taylor Club, I knew, you know, I knew a lot of stuff. I didn't know it by name, mm-hmm. but as soon as it came on, I was like, oh, and, you know, they had a different kind of energy. I got a good friend, actually a friend of... Um, of AFH, Brian Calhoun, who is a massive 3-6 fan. And, you know, he was a DJ back in the day and used to always talk to me about it. And, you know, watching this verses, I saw the energy. When they say tear the club up, he said, yo, for like a year or so, every single time that song came on, they were tearing the club. You guys talking about my concern too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, my dogs are ready to tear the club up too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what <laughs> does man, get this as well. So, um, you know, I was surprised pleasantly by how much I knew, um, and then you know, uh, actually, Bone Thugs, and we'll get into that a little bit. Actually, went deeper into the catalog than I expected too. But you know, I was I was rocking with them hard those first two projects. So. Um, you know, um, Crossroads, obviously, the, the biggie stuff, like, you know, I'd say from 94 to like 97 or so, they were like really, really, really running things, you know. And, you know, I watched Fat Joe and he described Busy Bone as like the Michael Jackson of hip hop. We'll get into that in a minute. But they were, I wouldn't go quite that far, but um, yeah. Bone was definitely, and Crossroads was a smash. I don't think people understand. I think it was on number one for like 14 weeks. Um, with Mariah, well, um, yeah, it was a uh, crossroads, yeah, and then breakdown too with Mariah Carey, also huge. So their impact cannot be underestimated. But so you're watching, and what was your expectation going in? You know, we had talked about this um, twice on on the What's the Headline podcast. Once when it first announced, and then they found a later date, and then once again in passing. Both times we've mentioned it. I don't know if we've given it collectively 10 minutes of air time. Um, I think we both kind of made a forecast and that was that. And, you know, this one, this versus, um, you know, is running in the high holidays came on a Thursday night. You're again, going against NFL football. It was Dallas Cowboys, which a lot of people 
Um, you know, I mean, that's quote unquote America's team. And for me, um, it wasn't something that I had planned a hundred percent to watch, but I, you know, I, I pay attention to what's being said on Twitter. And I was like, yo, I want to check this out. I want to see what this looks like. I want to see, first of all, is it going to be all the members of bone? You just mentioned busy bone right there. Um, you know, busy status with bone thugs and harmony is very much in and out of the group throughout, you know, for much of the last 25 years. Um, on top of it, you know, three, six mafia suffered two deaths, you know, with Kumsta and Lord infamous. Um, and, you know, a lot of people associate the group with DJ Paul, Juicy J, but I was curious, you know, is Gangsta Boo going to show up? Um, is Project Pat, you know, who's an affiliate, is he going to show up? Um, so I started to watch for that. And then, you know, I used to subscribe to Murder Dog magazine. Did you ever read Murder Dog? Uh, yeah, a couple times, not a ton. I, I mean, correctly, there were a, a lot of grammatical errors and typos <laughs> and stuff like that. <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, shout out. They were, you know, they were a DIY magazine, um, but they covered a lot of just, you know, I'm going to use the word gangster rap and, and that doesn't really do justice, but they covered a lot of Midwest, a lot of Bay Area, a lot of West Coast stuff that wasn't always getting love in the source and rap pages. And both of these groups are emblematic of that. So I was a Murder Dog subscriber. You well, know. Actually, hang on. Let me let me apologize to Murder Dog because my, my recollection of the typos was really about feds. You know, ah, word. Feds had a lot of typo, but it was just straight. It was straight from the streets and made no no pretense about it. So uh, my apologies, yeah. Murder Dog. I won't speak on their grammar and spelling. Yeah, no, I mean Murder Dog. Murder Dog uh, was was cool, and you know, I mean, there, there's spelling and grammar in a lot of publications. I know, you know, even AFH, uh, we've had some people over the years call us out for different articles. But but it it reminded me I was a murder dog murder dog subscriber and this battle very much spoke to that fan in me um, and I started watching and you know in the early rounds it was sort of like a Stanley Kubrick film I couldn't look away and you know as we talk about this I'll be very honest I'll be very candid about this was not my favorite versus um, you know I I think that the locks and dip set you know the locks particularly set a new bar that I'm gonna hold every versus competitor to in terms of rehearsal in terms of stage performance and this one was not even close but there was a lot of entertainment and there was a lot of just nostalgia for me and there was a lot to appreciate about this and then obviously um you know the story that a lot of people that probably weren't tuned in had to do with a fight you know I looked at the numbers and when I first tuned in it was before it was before the versus began um when I tuned in it was DJ position who is bone thugs DJ and Felly fell who I don't believe is three six you know full, full-time DJ but Felly fell is a legend of LA radio and a producer um I've done some work with Felly fell years ago um and they were kind of hyping the crowd up and, you know, Swizz was in the comments saying, you know, I'm really sorry, this is running late, you know, this, that, and the third. Snoop Dogg is like, come on, man, Killer Mike's in there saying he's excited. Um, so I tuned in, and then the moment, it was, it was around 125,000 were tuned in, and I watched it on IG Live um, off the Versus account. And then after the fight, which we will spend some time talking about, it was, uh, it was more than double that. Were so part of I watched Fat Joe's recap and he was in the building. He said part of the reason why they had the delay is because neither Bone nor um 36 was willing to go first and they wanted Fat Joe to 
to, to do the coin toss. Um, he, was, he says he was the only person in the building that they trusted to do it. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, there's definitely extensive history between him and all of them um, because of the relativity records relationship. So that's the story. I, I suspect it's more complicated than that. You know, uh, probably a few people late, you know, a few people like, you know, teetering, uh, you know, deciding whether they're going to come the whole nine. But in any case, started late. Uh, but before we get into the verses, let's set the stage for it, because these two groups have been around, you know, I think 3-6 has been around longer, I believe, uh, around the same era, um, you know, close enough. But they've had a history, a joint history uh, that, that's tied them together and one that's created tension. So you, you want to break that down? Yeah, I mean, to me, when I think of verses and, and this, you know, obviously the fight brought a lot of attention to this battle. And I wish in a way this was a reminder of why versus is fun. Um, you know, the one other time that I think there's been any definitive beef was, was you know, Young Jeezy versus Gucci Mane. Um, which, you know, was a huge battle. It wasn't one that I was terribly excited about just because I'm not um, a super fan of either of those guys. I don't have the history and the, the growing up years that I do with both of these acts. But yeah, I mean, 1995, you, you're talking about the way the Crossroads kind of dominated. Um, and 94 too, you know, Easy e who was, I feel like, you know, um, at a time when Death Row had kind of thumbed its nose at Eazy-E, Ice Cube had moved on and found great success on his own. And what was Ruthless Records going to be? And they put out a ton of projects, a bunch of different groups, um, you know, including At Band Clan, which, you know, eventually evolved into Black Eyed Peas, or Will I Am. They put out Cocaine, who, you know, made great records with Snoop. Um, and then this group out of Cleveland that had all taken Greyhounds to L.A., and I think that sometimes the narrative is that Bone Thugs and Harmony was, um, you know, Easy's Easy knew that this was going to be a hit. And I don't believe that. I have a lot of friends that work with Easy E, a lot of people I know um, that were at Ruthless Records as employees and staff over the years. I've interviewed, um, I think, just about every member of Bone, give or take Wish. I don't think I've ever interviewed Wishbone. Um, and I don't think it was quite that way. I think the group really kind of dug out some early hits on that EP. Um, they sounded new and different. They were Midwest, had a baked in fan base like that. Um, but it took off, it worked. And as that happened, you had a group like three, six mafia that had been doing it for approximately five years. And from what I understand, the, the, the tensions kind of started out of, well, you guys are, are kind of doing these tongue twisting deliveries over slow menacing beats. Um, there's a lot of imagery to kind of the occult, like, you know, Ouija boards and, you know, the, the dead, you know, some macabre shit. And there was a real kind of tension there. And, you know, our, our colleague and friend, Justin Hunt, um, who is the, there's two people in my life that I know that are diehard Bone Thugs and Harmony fans to the fullest. My uncle, Dan, who regularly tunes into this podcast <laughs> and owns every single bootleg independent release spinoff whatever and then justin and justin was in the building thursday night so he interviewed dj paul in 2015 for hip-hop dx when justin um you know was eic there and paul said that you know it wasn't really like a flat-out beef but there was tension there was kind of that biting attitude that we see time and time again in hip-hop you know 
you can talk about K solo and DMX over the Letterman style. You can talk about, I mean, you know, just on and on of who created what, even recently, like Kanye West and just blaze over, you know, who really gave the blueprint its sound. This conversation exists and, you know, bone thugs finds mainstream recognition and three, six mafia hadn't yet. Um, and so there were jabs and three, six mafia, um, you know, even put out a song in 95, um, what is it called? Rep Your Hood. Um, uh, yeah, I have the title slightly off, but they they came out and dissed these guys. And I'm sure they ran into each other from what I understand it. You know, your Gavins or your Jack the Rappers. And there was a standoff, maybe some words exchanged or a push or a shove. Um, but by the late 90s, you know, both groups have, are, have moved on. And that was that. And one of the things I'll say is it's worth mentioning because the score was never really settled. It was never a beef to the extent of Jeezy and Gucci, but there's tension. And it's like, who did it first? Who did it better? Who did more with it? And there were three different times throughout the Versus on Thursday night where both from the 3-6 side, and I think Lazy Bones said it on the Bone side, this battle was 26 years in the making. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that. That's why Versus exists. Because, you know, it's not definitive of like who walks away with the win, sets history straight. But very clearly, these guys were invested in getting their flowers. Um, and a so lot of better stage. And a lot of and, parallels, too, you yeah. know, um, both coming from markets that were not established in hip hop at that point, uh, both with styles that uh, weren't respected by, you know, New York, which was still at that time kind of the pinnacle of hip hop. In fact, um, you know, I was living in New York at the time, which is part of the reason why I didn't catch either one of them as much because, you know, simultaneously, that's the, the bad boy era. You got Nas doing his thing. Jay is starting to come up. Like New York is definitely on top, especially of commercial hip hop at that point. And so you have these upstarts, um, you know, and I say that, you know, quote unquote, who are coming from, you know, mid-sized markets, uh, not a ton of radio play. Well, Bone had a ton of radio play at, at that point, but like when they were coming up, they're not getting the kind of support that an emerging artist get. They had to fight and, and make it on their own. And, you know, even once they did, didn't get the respect. You know, you, you and I wrote an art, um, we wrote an article, I put out an article a few years ago. Uh, and this was actually in defense of the current generation or, you know, the then current generation of so-called mumble rappers, um, which is evolved into melodic rap now. But the argument was that Bone Thugs and Harmony were actually the first mumble rappers. You know, um, they were artists who had a really distinctive flow that was not super clear unless you understood the slang, unless you understood their accents it just kind of all blended together and sounded like just kind of mumbling. And, but that wasn't to put bone down. It was to establish the, the, the current generation and make people a bit more accepting because people obviously love bone, uh, especially in our audience. Uh, but, you know, I think they have a, a lot more in common than they had differences. And, and to your point, some of those things became so much in common that, that, you know, they took offense that, that, that people were copying. Yeah, I mean, there was a great article we ran on the site on the triplet style, you know, the Migos flow being a derivative of of both groups, but especially Bone. Um, And, you know, we've watched Bone and Migos go at it, Lazy Bone in particular with these guys, um, you know, over that, you know, that same question of biting. And, you know, Twista obviously deserves mention in that too, of that fast rap. Um, Tech Nine, you know, has called it chopping, um, you know, but that that just that that not a stutter style because that's more like Fushnik and Daz effects and, and early Jay Z, but that exactly what you're saying that like tongue twisting style, 
Um, and absolutely, and absolutely. And I, also on the same record label, right? And we've seen, and, and most, and, and it would seem that people who are on the same label would be collaborators. And in most instances, that's the case. But we've also seen um, times where it, it turns into a competition and that could be business, you know, that they're both competing for probably a finite pot of resources for music videos and promotion and things like that. And so the top dog is going to get that. Uh, I think that the biggest um, and potentially most dangerous uh, example we've seen of that has been uh, Trippy Red and uh, and Takashi Six Nine. Um, that that one ended in gunplay at times. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's another commonality they had. So you said that you had interviewed everyone in Bone, with the exception of Wishbone. Um, what was your coverage of Three Six like? Yeah, over. Over the years, I've, um, I've spoken to DJ Paul and du- Juicy J separately, um, never together uh, that I can recall. I've coordinated interviews for others, but um, yeah, and I've, I've, <laughs> I was once in a party in Atlanta at, the, uh, at Tree Sound Studios, which is a phenomenal studio, and uh, Gangsta Boo was in the same room. Actually, Mickey Fax, who we had on the show, there was a bunch of people. So I've talked to Gangsta Boo, not you know, in a professional manner. But that's it. I don't think I've ever interviewed Project Pat. But when I've covered these guys, um, it was in the late 2000s. So they had already found their most unknown, most known unknown success in 2006. They'd had the Oscar. They'd won the Grammy. At this point, they're on VH1. And they, you know, both groups, as you talk about parallel paths, both groups have had these huge records. And then they've gone and they've done these independent projects throughout their whole career. Um, Mixtapes and street albums and all of that. And they both are very dedicated to their fan base. But I've definitely um, spent more time interviewing Bone Thugs. In 2005, I wanted to do a 10-year retrospective because um, it had been 10 years since Eazy-E died. And, you know, I got on the phone with Bone, um, Steve Lobel, who was with them, um, you know, during Versus. Um, we had a really meaningful conversation. And Busy who, like I said, has an estranged status with the group participated and gave me phenomenal quotes. And that story was for all hip hop. Um, and I hope it's still online. It was, it was a really good retrospective. Mm, that's dope. So they also had similarities in terms of like uh, internal, I won't say strife, but like issues that, that threatened to like really compromise the, the group. So you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, both groups have personnel issues. You look at the 3-6 timeline, and it's at the core, you know, it's Juicy J and DJ Paul, but they've had folks come in and out, you know, folks that they'll do stuff with and then disappear and come back. And that's why, again, I tuned in. I was like, what is this group going to look like? And it was dope that Gangsta Boo was there. It's great that Project Pat came out. Um, Crunchy Black, you know, I never realized, I have to say for a moment, you know, what a phenomenal hype man he was. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But, you know, you, you've had people coming in and out, um, and both groups have had a whole host of challenges. There's been infighting. Um, you know, busy bone status with the group has led to some really um, high-profile for-fans interviews where they've dissed each other. 2018, we ran it on Ambrosia for Heads. It got a lot of um, SEO this week. DJ Paul dissed Juicy J. I mean, Juicy J gets a, a resurgence that Paul doesn't necessarily enjoy over the last 10 years, you know, becomes part of Taylor gang is on the Katy Perry record really gets second life. And I liken it. And it might even be even bigger than like Bun B had. Um, and DJ Paul, well, bands will make her dance was gigantic. That was in my one of the six and park days. And 
I remember we had a um, you know we had a discussion about whether or not to play the video because if you remember it had this stripper who was on like a like a seemingly infinite pole and it was very very racy video at the time but Juicy J like he you know in some ways he had a bigger um he had bigger more exposure than 360 you know in, in that like uh 2010s there yeah and it's sad too because you know he and Paul and Crunchy had done all this work you know getting the Oscar getting a Grammy um doing all of that stuff around you know 2005 2006 and they did a vh1 show together i remember tuning in and then juicy j just kind of takes the ball and goes beyond and that's why paul dissed him in 18 he's like you don't look back paul um you know finds a lot of the other members and kind of creates this group called the mafia bone thugs has dealt with that too you know they've they've released albums um sometimes with flesh sometimes without flesh sometimes with busy without there have been a lot of starts and stops. And what's crazy to me is Bone Thugs, at the same time that 3-6 Mafia gets their accolades, Swizz Beats, you know, co-founder of Versus, comes in and, and reunites Bone Thugs and Harmony for strength and loyalty, gets them a deal through his imprint at Interscope, and puts out an album that goes to number two on the charts in, I want to say, 2007. An album I really enjoyed. I mean, it doesn't have that easy E feel to it, but it creates a new life for these guys. And then immediately after it, you know, they already kind of start to dissipate, um, you know, on both or on on three sixes side. Obviously, I mentioned the two deaths. These groups have just had a host of label woes of problems. And that's why, again, I was excited for Versus, because one thing that we've seen is this gives a chance for people to tune in, appreciate the catalog, show a lot of love to these artists. And even in spite of of what happened Thursday night, I do think um, we're seeing that. I think I know over the week, man, I've been playing more Bone Thugs and, and Three Six Mafia than I've played in months, maybe years. Yeah. So you, you've alluded to the fight a number of times, and I think you were one of the first one. You're in watching it real time. You were one of the first ones to break it. You know, I had seen, you know, uh, for the for the audience, Justin Hunt, who, who's uh, AFH family, um, and Jake and I have a, a group chat that we we get into every once in a while. And they had started texting about the verses. I had forgotten that it was happening, uh, but then my ears kind of peaked up. I tuned in for a second, but the numbers were around what, what you had said. So it must have yeah, been. Yeah, man, before. you left us on red, man. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, it had been a long week, dog. I was, I was ready for bed. Uh, yeah. So, um, And so I didn't find out about this until the next morning. I wake up and, you know, I check the, the, the site's analytics and our numbers are like through the charts. And so I look at Facebook. And I see that Jake has posted this story. Um, but before we get into it, I want to I wanna talk about Versus a, a bit more generally. So we've seen, like you said, um, a lot of Versus um, and some that had real high stakes coming in, notably the, the Jeezy and the Gucci main one. I mean, those guys, you know, were really about it um, at one point. Um, there was time, there were many times actually during the Locks versus Dipset that I thought, uh-oh, it's really about to pop off now because you got a lot of guys on stage. There's a lot of testosterone. They kept trying to clear it. So clearly it was more people than it was supposed to be. And it felt like a throwback to those like 90s era days where the crew was out there and like, you know, it's always the crews that start shit, right? And so, um, but, you know, and, you know, the, there have been other, and hip hop in general is an aggressive genre versus 
um, has been alternately celebratory and but alternately uh, competitive too, even Fat Joe. And so lots of dipset, like you said, kind of like set the bar. They they took it from let's celebrate each other and arm around each other and hugs and everything and drink together and sit and smile to know this is a competition. Let's really go after it. And you know, Fat Joe and Ja Rule did the same thing. They're they're good friends, and you know, um, they they coordinated it. And they were strategic about it. Lots, lots and Dipset also were coordinated in the sense that they were going on tour. They had announced that they were going to have a national tour right after that. So the last thing they wanted to do was to, to uh, screw up that bag by fighting and like not being able to tour together. Uh, as is the case, you know, a lot of times after something's happened, it's a game of telephone and the message gets mixed up and, you know, people only see the, the, the rivalry and don't understand the strategy behind it. So I'm curious, are you surprised that something like this has not popped up? Are you surprised there hasn't been another fight in versus before? I thought we got really close with um, locks and Dipset, And you and I did a great podcast immediately after that, talking about what other people did on stage to make sure that didn't happen. And, you know, from, from other people, I've heard that it got really tense at a few points with Jeezy and, and Gucci, understandably so. This one, you know, it sort of reminds me of battle rap. You know, I don't follow battle rap terribly closely, but we all remember that, you know, that not meme, but that viral clip of the dude every day I'm styling on you and boom, he got smacked. You remember that from like yeah, 15 yeah. years ago? Yeah. I mean, it's bound to happen. And, and for the reasons you just said, based on testosterone. And it's funny because I was watching on my phone this versus, and I didn't see the writing on the wall. I, I saw some great back and forth, some Gary Payton style, Kevin Garnett style shit talking. Um, but it wasn't until I watched it again on YouTube. And obviously I know what's about to happen that you can start to see where things change um and what, what was that moment for you what, what was that you know one of the things that I didn't see on my phone um in the in the round before the altercation I'll call it um I didn't see on my phone that DJ Paul and Gangsta Boo are ballroom dancing I don't know if you even saw that no I missed that so you know they're uh Bone Thugs and Harmony is performing um uh butter lovers buddha lovers excuse me you know the smoke smoke song and they perform it as they did two or three times in the night kind of like a street doo-wop quartet like they they huddled up in a semicircle, and i thought it was really dope like i've never gotten to see bone thugs and harmony live but i mean this group was harmonic you know was is melodic so to watch them perform that you know especially when you're dealing with so many microphones on stage to watch them have a little bit of a tighter routine. I thought it was really cool. And at one point, you know, um, it was either Paul or Boo said, you know, I thought, I thought y'all brothers um, rap, you're an R&B group. And when they did that and they set up as a doo-wop group, they're over to the side. And I did not see this on my phone. I saw it. It's on the, um, the version on YouTube. They're dancing and making fun and he's twirling her around and they're slow dancing. Moments later, before starting the next, you know, song, that's when Busy comes over and says, I will not have you mocking me. Mm. And, you know, again, it's one of those things. And I mean, we run into this, you know, time and time again in history right now with camera angles and context and all of this, um, you don't, you don't see. Um, and I don't think that that certainly warranted um, 
the ultimate outcome. But you actually, you know, spoke about something that Busy told Fat Joe in the post fight or in the post battle too that I thought was interesting. Of it wasn't even that it was it was Juicy J's response that escalated yeah, things yeah. even further. Yeah. So so let's get into it. So um, you're watching, and it's like three or four rounds in. Yeah. At that point, you know, I was pleasantly surprised by like how dope the the, the back and forth was. You know, they were hitting each other with bombs. The energy was on 10 uh, and it, it felt like a real hip hop moment, you know? Um, and then to your point, Busy says that, and I thought it was weird. I thought he was just reacting generally because uh, of the, the banter that was happening back and forth. But, you know, it's interesting to, to, to now know that there's something specific. And as is the case with every fight, it's always the person who throws a second punch that gets in trouble. Um, so, all right, so you're in bed and you're you're watching this live. Man, you had to tell everyone I was in bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I already told them I was in bed, man. I was. I, I was started. Sleeping. I started watching it in the kitchen. Um, I was watching Thursday night football, and then I was like, "No, nah, this is more interesting." You know, this was more interesting. So I start watching, and you're right. The banter, and again, I, I want to say something that I saw in rewatching it that I didn't catch in the first part. As I'm tuning in, and it's running late. I'll level with you. I'll level with all of our listeners. I'm immediately thinking busy bone. Like that is busy's reputation. Um, you know, and, and if you've listened over the years of some of the other members of bones frustration, you know, he has very much been um, the diva for lack of a better word of the group. Just, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not satisfied with this. I'm not satisfied with that frequently didn't show up for concert dates, album runs, like screwed up the bag numerous times. Um, when they come to the stage, and I don't believe Fat Joe, I mean, and Fat Joe says, I never tell a lie. I think Fat Joe looked out as a great mediator between these two groups. And maybe he was supposed to do the coin toss all along. But when you watch Fat Joe, he does not seem prepared to do that. I think he's a great MC, a master of ceremonies. And I think that he does a damn good job. But he wasn't even necessarily sure of, of who was all there. Um, yeah, yeah. But when they come to the stage, very interesting there's a yellow caution tape as part of bone thugs's prop and they both come in there they get announced um you know and they come to shake hands and busy walks away he refuses to shake bone thugs uh excuse me three sixes hands before the battle even starts and when you watch those first three or four rounds busy's standing off to the side something happened backstage and i know we'll never i mean maybe years from now we'll get the story but um something was up before this thing ever started well, I, I got I got some insight, at least Busy's perspective on that. But so you're lying in bed and <laughs> bringing it back to that. And, yeah. and this, this unfold. What is your first thought? Because it's this, and this is like the power of live, right? Because it's one thing for me to watch it on YouTube when I know it's coming uh, on a clip, like you did in the article. Yeah. It's another thing to be watching it in the moment, and all of a sudden it goes completely left. So, so what were you thinking? I said audibly, Oh shit, they are fighting. This mm -hmm. is crazy. And then I thought to myself, I got to get out of bed and we got to cover this. AFH has to cover this, which is a predicament that I've been in for like 20 years of my life, wherever I've worked. And unfortunately, it's typically due to death. Um, you know, what'd you say? I said, unfortunately it's yeah. typically due to death, you know? So yeah. But so, yeah. um, so were you thinking, uh oh, it's about to be a wrap? Like, this is it? Or, or, well, I mean, 
what what happens happens and they go to black but it's still it's still running on my phone and you know an article was started and and we went from it from there and then in real time as as the article is just about ready um not only do they come back they do a couple more rounds there's a gesture of peace and we can talk about some of that but as we're about to publish busy comes out and gives an apology and i thought man this is so crazy like you know, you and I have lived in a time where albums drop at midnight now. Um, a lot of things happen in real time. But the way Versus has affected um, culture, I mean, you know, this reminds me of like the Grammy Awards. Like when something would happen and you're covering it in real time that way, it's all systems go. And this, you know, one of the things when you talk about both groups having overlap, both of these groups in 2021 don't have the media love. This is a much less hyped battle in my estimation than Raekwon versus Ghostface. It just doesn't have the cachet of coastal media. These are two Midwest groups. These are, these are groups that while they've had love on the radio in the past are not right now, especially as groups, you know, shout out to Juicy J. Um, And, and, and I think that, you know, we found you and I time and time again, that an audience that follows these groups needs a home on the internet. And they're very much the same folks that care about a lot of the artists that we cover. So it is our duty, even in the capacity that AFH is in to cover this. And you're absolutely right. And that's, um, that's kind of what transpired. And then it was interesting to see how the rest of the night went. Now, full disclosure, um, I went to bed before the 20 rounds, you know, I went, I went to bed somewhere around like round 11. Um, And then I got up and on Friday watched the rest of it. And, right. you know, and I, I made the right decision uh, for sleep's sake, but yeah. an interesting, interesting, interesting verses. All right. So Bone Thugs are performing. DJ Paul and Gangsta Boo are ballroom dancing. Uh, shots are fired about them being an R&B group. Busy steps up to the yellow, um, yellow tape, the caution tape, which is serving as a divider between the two groups and looks them dead in the face and says, um, you know, y'all ugly mother effers is not about to about to mock me uh, and be disrespectful to me. Um, and uh, DJ Paul says, Juicy J says, Juicy J, J says, uh, suck my D. Yeah. Right. Busy then cocks back, throws his water bottle at them. And, and I, I got to say, it was like a 50 cent, um, like uh, uh, throwing the first pitch. <laughs> yeah. does not have a career in baseball because like it hit it hit the floor like before it got to juicy um and juicy was not far away um and then uh who, who charged i know dj paul charged but he didn't cross the line but then like the rest of the crew charged and and you know and they juicy were- went you know and honestly it's funny if you watch it in slow-mo i believe you know, this is like the uh, the Kennedy, you know, <laughs> the frame by frame. I think Busy throws his mic first and then it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a two fister. Boom, one, then the other. And because when it's all said and done, unless he dropped his mic, he's he's empty handed. And Paul or excuse me, Juicy J is wearing sunglasses. They're all of a sudden gone as you're watching it. So either he chucked his glasses or he pulled them off and he charges. And it's funny, too, because, you know, Juicy J at least of the last 10 years is the most successful person on that stage. You know, I mean, he even, and, and the way he dressed the jewelry, he let, he let you know it. And 
he tore through and he got through the line and he, he pulls out his hand um, to hit busy. And I don't think he really landed a punch. I think, I think there was, um, you know, uh, contact, but he might've even hit lazy because busy backs up. And then, you know, as you see in every, you know, melee of that kind, both crews collide, security runs on Steve LaBelle's out there. Um, and, you know, ultimately they separate the crews. And with that, Juicy J walks out of the stage. He kind of, he was wearing the bright red, you know, um, suit and you see him around and then he's out and busy bone is just boom out, you know, he's, he's off stage. And um, so it's a testament to the crews that they didn't get out of hand. You know, we, yeah. we talked about issues of the crews, but actually it's the crews that I think saved this from, from getting really out of hand. And also, you know, Fat Joe made this point, and I agree with that. You know, a lot of times when that happens, you'll see when there's a fight on stage, you'll see uh, fights start to break out in the crowd. I was actually at a Sugar, Sean, Sugar Shane Mosley Vernon Perry fight in Indianapolis back in the day, wow. and a fight broke out behind us, and then like scattered fights started breaking out in the in the arena. It's like fight to contagious. So, the fact that this one was contained was great. Um, and then, you know, so there's a break, uh, I hear. Well, two- if I can add one thing though, too, okay. you know, I saw some people in our story, um, the Facebook comments, uh, you know, are, are really interesting. And, and some people have accused this of being a publicity stunt. I don't think so one single bit. Uh, do you? I don't, it didn't look like a publicity stunt to me. Uh, but who knows? Because, um, in most situations like that, it does get out of hand and it does not resume. Right. But but I think that I think the counter argument to that is versus is a gigantic platform. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that people who participate are paid pretty handsomely. We know for yeah. a fact that early participants got equity and I, it, it would not shock me if there was a, a no fighting clause on there. And if you fight, you're going to lose your bag. So I yeah. think it was in everyone's best interest to resolve this and not like have that be the thing to define them on probably the biggest platform there'll ever be. What's so interesting to me is when the fight happens, you know, and watching on Instagram, um, one thing I'll add, the camera angle sucked this, this episode. Um, and Swizz was in the comments saying, you know, that is an enticement to subscribe, to get better, you know, camera footage when you subscribe to, you know, Triller. Yeah. I have a theory, you know, one thing I'll say, and this is no shots at either group. This is, this is just calling balls and strikes. There was a lot of lip syncing going on on this battle like in the performances not every mc but there was a lot of oof, and i think they needed medium medium shot to just make that look a little bit better so when the fight happens um gangsta boo and, and and you know people might not realize gangsta boo's reputation was very antagonistic like that was part of her persona as a rapper it's what makes her great it's why you know run the jewels features her on their albums it's she, you know gangsta boo has in many ways um become a timeless artist of that movement um and and she was one of the better performers you know on thursday night in my opinion on the three six side but she um you know immediately accuses busy bone of fucking it up for everyone and she she made the comment of you didn't take your pills and you know out of respect to mental health and all of that i don't want to i don't want to play into that that was very clearly a diss um you know and then there were other people and i can't attribute it to who that said this is why he's not in the group yeah, you know, um, which I just thought was going to fuck up your bag. He's going right. to fuck up your group. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting because, 
you know, it's like, you know, I always think of that, that 96, you know, Van Halen with David Lee Roth at the VMAs. And there's that famous quote, I think it was um, from Eddie Van Halen, where he said he wanted to, you know, he wanted to kick David Lee Roth right in the crotch if he ever spoke to him that way again, like, versus even as big and as celebratory as it is, these groups are bringing their baggage. And, you know, shout out, you know, there's this moment, they go to black, they run a commercial for some upcoming versus boxing stuff. And I don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, I, I watched the Source Awards live, like the 99 Source Awards, um, where something similar happened and it ran on like UPN or something. And then they came back. And this, and the one thing that I'll say too is, you know, and we're going to talk about it, shout out to what both groups did once they came back. But the sad part is, is when this resumed, the people on the stage had like tripled. And I really think that cost the performance. And I'm sure there were huge security measures, probably of people on stage concerned about the fans. Um, this was at the Hollywood Palladium, but the level of performance never quite got back. But um, yeah, it was, I, I think the outage was less than 10 minutes, which was astounding. That's amazing. So, so yeah, break down like the apologies that were said um, right after, and then I'll get into like what happened after, after the, the, the event, because both uh, Busy and um, and DJ Paul joined Fat Joe to kind of give kind of post versus uh, remarks on what happened. Yeah, so you know it's interesting. They come back and Three Six Mafia does a song. Um, I'll say the title "Ass and Titties," which I don't. I'm very curious. Uh, you know, has the words "suck my d" in it. Word, which I didn't consider. That's a really interesting point. And and right. and so did they switch it around, or is is our person on Facebook like, uh, you know, uh, you know, Nostradamus, Nostradamus? It's interesting too because you know when this battle began, three six, you know, and they had to perform first because of the coin flip, and they did who run it, <laughs> and they were doing ad libs of who run it, not you. Like both groups were were t- the level of shit talking, as you said, was just incredible. So the fact they come out um did that song a lot of times they were lining up their songs really well this is a battle i do think swizz or timberland more likely swizz given his proxy um certainly to three six i think they really came with a dope sequence of songs oftentimes they would go year for year or like big feature record big remix record um so you know after they do that record paul says that's one thing we can all agree that we like you know or two things you know which was the beginning of an olive branch. And then boom, Bone Thugs and Harmony cuts into Days of Our Lives, which is my favorite Bone Thugs and Harmony song, which in some weird way is poetic of like, man, this is another day in our life. Like, um, and it really set the, mo- set the, um, set the tone. Um, so a couple rounds go by. And then after round seven, um, Busy Bone comes back to the stage. And this is what he says. I want to apologize to everyone out there on both sides. I'm not trying to fuck this shit up. Pardon me. And he's there and, and, and daps it up in a very meaningful way um, with Juicy J and, and stays on stage. And, you know, it's interesting. Again, you know, is this a publicity stunt? I rewatched that and I'm watching Steve LaBelle, you know, who's Bone Thugs and Harmony's, you know, manager. He's been with the group since the ruthless days. I'm watching him walk busy out to the center and i'm watching the consternation on his face this was not scripted i mean this 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 may be antics but they're still worried at any point that this can get even sloppier yeah and those remarks that you mentioned that were made about busy as the altercation was happening 
that doesn't sound scripted to me. You know, that, that, that's real talk and um, said by people who are really just kind of disgusted by what, what, what went down. So, um, okay, so afterwards, Fat Joe does his recap and, you know, he has both Busy and DJ Paul come on. And um, I'll, I'll say this, DJ Paul tells Fat Joe, I love Busy Bone, I love him to death. I could not ever see myself putting my hands on, you know, on them. I love all of Bone to death. I'm a fan. We can't keep hip hop thinking that we're enemies of each other. So he goes out of his way to like make that point, which I thought was um, was was really dope and really telling, um, you know. And you know, I suspect that also he was uh, lamenting doing that on the Versus platform because I got I got to believe these guys have respect for what Swizz and Tim have built, and and so many people have done this for the culture. They understand what it means, and so to do that, it's just not cool. So then Busy comes on. And he talks about it a lot more extensively. You know, so he, to your point earlier about um, him not being kind of in the right mind state when he was on the stage early, he says that he had caught a cold from his son, you know, a few days ago. And it was like a really, really terrible cold. He was super congested. You know, his head was all messed up. And so when he arrived, he was not ready for any kind of banter. And he says that, you know, when he said what he said, he was actually trying to like provide the banter that, you know, he's seen in the Jadakus and in, in the locks and, and dipset and stuff like that, which, you know, kind of goes against your ballroom dancing thing, but also, you know, he might've been scripting, you know, this afterwards to, to like kind of come, but he says, so he gives him the banter and he says, um, and when he called them ugly motherfuckers, although, you know, when I watched it back again, too, he looked dead up serious. He didn't look like he, it was banter. Yeah. He, he didn't look like he was joking and like trying to, he, he was like, y'all not about to disrespect me. He seemed almost like Birdman to me in the, um, the, the Breakfast Club um, uh, altercation. But um, so he goes, he said he expected a retort. He expected them to say, you know, shut the fuck up or, or who you call an ugly something along those lines. But he thought, you know, suck my D was over the over the line. Now, Fat Joe also said, listen, those those are fighting words in most circles. Um, and so because of that, he thought that they took it to a place that, that's not right. And the streets know that. And so that's why he had the reaction he did. He said his soul made his body react. That's a quote from him. And he didn't think before he was acting. He was it was just uh, instinctual for him. And, you know, that made me think about um, if it was true that he was trying to, you know, continue the banter, it's a lot like the Royce and Lupe um, um, podcast that you and I did where, you know, it's like a game of slap boxing and inevitably slap boxing goes wrong when one person gets hit in the ear or whatever and like the, the stakes raised. So if, if that was the case, that's the time when somebody got hit in the ear. Um, he said that, he was off stage and he heard the crowd calling for him to come back. And then his son had also called him and told him that he needed to go back on. And so that's why he came back. And he said, when I came back, I felt like as a man and as a business person and as an adult, I wanted to make sure that I apologized to their whole side because they did what they were supposed to do. And my side did what they were supposed to do. And I wanted the fans to understand I'm not trying to fuck nothing up. So then after that, I called Juicy J over. I said, come here, you know, and, and we said a little something. I'll keep that between us. But as it went on, it was respect on the floor. 
and I was able to ease up a little bit, nod my head to some of that shit, because I understand that as we were getting to the end, all this had to end with crossroads and us linking up and shaking hands. I knew that before I walked in. I already knew the plan. And then he says, we wanted to make sure that we were able to say rest in peace to somebody that came from Memphis, um, Young Dolph. They wanted to you know, honor Young Dolph and then come together and bring it all together. It was a very strategic plan. So um, you know, that's why he says that they ended with Crossroads and, 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 and they had that kind of kumbaya moment at the end. It was, that was all planned. Um, you know, and so I'm, I'm glad they were able to do that, but you know, it didn't feel scripted to me, but it was definitely thought out. So, you know, who knows, man, who knows? You know, one of the things that I learned after I saw the fight, um, I saw it on Twitter, you know, versus has now gotten in the habit of getting its participants to do some like pregame, you know, pre-fight, you know, smack talk and busy put out a video this week and in his, in it's on Twitter, and he told Bone Thugs, I'm finna fuck you devil-worshipping brothers the fuck up. <laughs> Which cracked me up. I mean, like, again, like, I think of the Fat Joe Gyro verses. And these guys, you know, made a hit record together with New York. And they took playful jabs at each other. I mean, jabs that, like, you know, if, if your friend says it about you, like, you might wake up the next day with that thing on your mind. But this one, I mean, the level of smack talk was was too far. And it, it reminds me of sports like there was a lot of chin music and you can see why the mound was charged. That doesn't mean Busy Bone was in the right. But this one, the jabs, I mean, they're questioning each other's hits. Um, at one point, uh, I think Lazy Bone tells this is before the fight. She tells uh, Gangsta Boo, come over here. Let me fix your braids. Like, I mean, it was it was just good quality, you know, smack talk, but it escalated. And, you know, I think you're absolutely right. We're not living in the era where people want to, you know, while we all might click in and tune in hip hop, I mean, shout out to our leaders. This is, this is the grown person era of, of like using an event like this to make peace, to do the crossroads at the end. Um, and it marred things. And I was actually conflicted on how we covered the story because, um, you know, we've spent a lot of time over the last two years just about covering versus and its merits. And does one fight like does that does that become the bigger takeaway this year than all that the locks did? I hope not. And now we know not. But it's um it's just an interesting question of 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 maturity. Yeah, and that's also why I don't think it was scripted because uh, people don't remember the piece; they remember the fight. And yeah. there is no way that that altercation in any way help the brand of Versus. You know, Swizz and, and Tim are trying to build something. Trailer's trying to build something. And the minute you start to do that, you start to have insurance problems. Um, you know, it, it takes down sponsorships. No sponsor wants to be attached to that. It gets to, um, you know, a, a world star place and people don't want to stand next to that content. And so um, if it was scripted, it was like a Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake thing when, where they did it behind the scenes and didn't tell the, the, the broadcaster because I can't see Swizz and Tim co-signing something like that. It just was not a good look for their brand. And so um, let's assume that it wasn't scripted. And that being the case, then I think that it makes what they were able to do afterwards even more powerful because it could have easily escalated. It could have shut down. But the other members came, they finished it out. Busy came back, made his apologies. And then that crossroads moment was a moment. Like that song, 
transcended hip hop. It transcended like uh, you know genre, and and it transcended like um, you know radio, and became you know a a universal theme song for people who have lost someone. And yeah. to see that moment, and to see Tupac and Easy E and Biggie and Young Dolph and Nipsey Hussle and Virgil Abloh, who we just lost last week on that screen while those guys are all together on stage in the in the dark you know with lighters and crossroads playing that was a moment um that was a moment and to me that's the moment that should be celebrated and the one that that should the, the ultimate legacy for this versus and you know that's why you know I wanted us and I'm glad we decided to kind of like focus on it in that way absolutely and, and very well said were there any other highlights or takeaways that stood out to you from the night yeah, you know, I was surprised that uh, Juicy J did a, a Katy Perry feature. You know, uh, that's not like um, something that it's a huge verse for him, but um, not a like a, what you would think would be a verses moment. You know, the other thing is was an omission uh, first of the month. And part of me thinks that that's something that got lost in the shuffle or in the scuffle. Um, you know, the fact that Bone didn't play first of the month, uh, that probably their second biggest hit was really surprising to me you know um aside from that i think my biggest surprise was just how much i enjoyed the music because as again you know as a person coming into it not a huge fan of either really not knowing 360's catalog the way that i know a lot of other artists um to have enjoyed it as much as i did musically was was a welcome surprise for me how about you yeah, I mean, I had some 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 surprising takeaways. You know, I've always um, attributed Crazy Bone to the de facto leader of Bone Thugs and Harmony. And I think we saw on Thursday night at the moment right now that it's Lazy. Um, you know, Lazy was the spokesman for the group. He had some great interplay, you know, and really knew the balance of banter. Um, I thought Busy, you know, to his credit, was a, was one of the strongest performers on stage on the Bone side. I... um. There were several points with Wish and with Crazy and even Lazy at a few points where I think they were just straight sinking to their raps. I do think when it came to some of the harmonies, the mics were live, um, you know, for, for better in uh, Busy and Lazy's case and maybe for worse in Wish's case. Um, some of that was interesting. I, I thought Crunchy Black was a dope hype man, like the, the dancing, the way he kept the energy. I think the crowd um, was very, very, very favoritist towards Bone. And obviously, you know, Bone has L.A. history. Ruthless was a L.A. label. Um, their ties to Eazy-E, their ties to Tupac. You know, Bone has a lot of love out there. Not the 3-6 doesn't. I mean, I think one of the VH1 shows uh, that, that, that Paul and Juicy J did showed them in Hollywood. But that crowd and Justin Hunt texted us as much. Like, yo, this crowd is going crazy for bone um that was key takeaways i don't think in this particular battle the guests offered a whole lot i mean through the night we got a little wayne which you and i are just mentioning now i mean the fact that wayne came out um was huge i thought wayne immediately hit the stage bowed to bone thugs and harmony which i thought was really dope and then did the the bands will make her dance verse we had wiz khalifa um it was really cool to me just as a fan that bone thugs brought out dj unique um they brought out uh Kenny McLeod on the talk box, which was probably my favorite guest um, when, you know, he did no surrender. Like I thought that that was, that was so dope. Like, you know, they got the first round for me on that one. 
A little but, jarring um, for me. I thought Lil John like turned it all the way up too. You know, um, I wouldn't say that they didn't have impact. It's just that they didn't overshadow it. You know, uh, I thought that uh, I thought that I thought that each one brought energy, but you know, it was just like one and done. They didn't do you know. In the past, we've seen them you know do some of their own songs and stuff like that. They were just truly there to be supporting cast, which I thought was appropriate. Yeah, Chameleonaire. Um, you know, uh, you know, there was a host of people, um, you know, actually one of my favorite guests too was, uh, Shatasha Williams on Thuggish Ruggish Bone. And I was looking into her and Complex actually did a dope article six years ago. She was somebody that was completely, um, there was even a, a fake death report. You know, she sang on the original, had worked with, um, had worked with Candyman and all of that. The fact that they got her, that's the stuff I like about Versus. Um, you know, we got Terrence Howard out there um yeah little john project pad it was interesting i'm in a way like you mentioned the Katy perry record which made sense to me especially when they played it against the mariah carey bone thugs joint but i'm laughing i don't expect to see mariah but you know Katy perry is somebody who's used hip-hop culture and rap music a lot it was done in la Katy perry could have come out if little wayne's there but neither <laughs> here nor there That's um, yeah. yeah um overall did you have a? did you have a it doesn't need to be, you know, a total tally. I have one, but did you have a winner? Uh, you know, Fat Joe said something. I agree with it. I thought that um, the energy went down for Bone once the busy incident happened. You know, and that could have, could have been, and, you know, 3-6 didn't have any guilt, so they didn't have to take their energy down. They, they kept coming with it. I thought when we talk about these, you know, it's so often about the performance more than the record. And I thought that every single time uh, 360 did something, it was turned up. And Bone, just by nature of their catalog, you know, they got like Janet Jackson samples and like super melodic, like slow, like R&B, quiet storm kind of stuff. So it's really hard to compete with that. You know, Puff was joking with uh, Jermaine Dupri. He's like, what are you going to do with Biggie? Like, um, you know, um, you're going to like play um, Mariah Carey? Like, you know, like, dog, this is a hip hop joint. And you could... And so I think that that was an advantage that three six had was just the level of energy they had. So I think overall I would have given it to and and, and them not playing first of the month too was was also a, a tough one for Bone. So surprisingly, I probably would have given it to three six. Um, you know, I like the Bone records that I like more than the three six records generally, mm. but there was a lot of bone records that like, you know, were just okay to me. And every three, six joint was like, was like kind of on 10 in terms of energy. How about you? That's so interesting. You know, I came into this expecting three, six to win, uh, not by a strong margin, but I have it as bone 12, eight. And, you know, this one, there were certain things that, you know, the stage charisma on either, on both sides that gave, you know, edge ups to rounds. But um, I thought it was really about record selection. And this one was set up nicely but in the end, I mean, Bone came in, you know, 3-6 started reverting to some Juicy J mixtape stuff from 2011. They didn't do any DJ Paul solo records, which I thought was interesting. It was very much Juicy J leaning. They used Project Pat with uh, Chicken Head at one point, and he came out and did his Knife Talk verse from Drake's new album. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a close battle, but I have Bone winning 12-8. to eight. And that, that last round is tricky. Um, you know, three, six did a song. They did one of their best songs, uh, you know, slob on my knob, but you, nothing. I mean, Crossroads is the, uh, you know, the ace of spades. That's going to, that's going to win. Yeah. It's just a big joker for sure. Yeah. So, you know, we touched on it, but, um, you know, we had another loss, um, 
you know, this one wasn't, you know, Virgil Abloh passed away and this was a huge surprise for me. I was actually in Philadelphia, you know, having just visited you when you texted. Uh, it came out of nowhere for me. Um, you know, we later learned that he had been dealing with cancer for two years. This one hit me kind of like Chad Bozeman, um, you know, in that, you know, you, ha you had no idea and they're not, you know, fortunately in a situation where there's expected to be violence or, you know, a situation where, you know, they're known to have been, you know, abusing drugs or anything like that. So there was no warning for it. And, you know, so young at age 40, I believe, 41. 41. Yeah. 41, yeah. And, you know, um, and also for a person who was so supremely talented and, you know, was like, you know, that, that path was cut short and he still had a lot of upward motion. You know, so, you know, for those who don't know, Virgil Abloh was the creative director for Donda, you know, uh, Kanye West's um, fashion line, and then went on to start his own off-white label and ultimately became the creative director for uh, menswear for Louis Vuitton, uh, which is just gigantic. You know, Bernard Arnault, who Kanye references a lot, uh, you know, people talk about tech titans like Zuckerberg and um, and um, uh, Jeff Bezos, but Bernard Arnault, I believe, is number three on that list. Um, wow. You know, to uh, in terms of wealth, he's like a hundred and like fifty billion dollars or something like that. And the old school way through, like you know, tangible goods. You know, Louis Vuitton, um, Moet, and Hennessy. So he's got clothes and. Um, alcohol and in a lot of ways it's kind of like um you know the the main the the the, the high fashion um diddy you know diddy's you know with sean john and the Ciroc stuff like you know had a very similar kind of like uh arc as did uh, jay with with his liquor brands and clothing so bernard arnault may be the blueprint for for all these people and kanye has always made it very clear and for virgil to be you know running one of the main lines of his business or at least the, the chief creative person for that you could see, you know, him potentially reaching those heights. And so it was a real loss for me, but uh, you put together a great piece about his other connections to hip hop. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I've come to realize even more, you know, what he did. And what's interesting is, you know, he and Kanye West interned together at, um, at Fendi in 2009. I mean, Kanye is well into his career. Um, you know, Virgil had opened up a brick and mortar in Chicago with Don C, who a lot of people may know has been, you know, Conway, excuse me, Kanye's partner and manager um, throughout much of his career. But, you know, he was brought in, he designed the cover for um, Watch the Throne and was, you know, an, an artistic director throughout that album. I think he had input on, on some of the visuals, you know, on the music video side. <clears throat> and he's come in recently to do, uh, you know, stuff that we cover um west side guns you know pray for paris album um designed the artwork for that had worked closely with griselda um people may remember the dr bird single um you know from the shady album and that the chorus is you know tell virgil write brick on my brick and that was you know that was a, a call out and from what i understand what i've seen west side gun say you know virgil was a ground floor supporter you know of the mid 2010s before Griselda, you know, assigned to Shady when they're just kind of this Buffalo group that is putting, that's treating its music like high fashion, like limited edition couture fashion, 
Virgil was a fan. I mean, was somebody that he was a DJ, was somebody that was very much in and around the culture. Did you ever meet him? I did not. No, me neither. Um, but it was interesting. You know, I just uh, he was somebody that, you know, I'm familiar with. We covered his story previously when Louis Vuitton made that appointment. I mean, he became the you know first black creative director, um, you know, was somebody that was kicking down doors and boundaries. I was in I was in Paris last month and walked by the Parisian office for LV. And, you know, I, I said to my girl, like Virgil Abloh, she knew who he was. And I was like, I wonder if that's where he goes to work a lot of the time. Um, so, you know, somebody that's very much in the consciousness and from all that I've seen in the aftermath of his passing was just such a positive force to so many of the people that we listen to and cover. And it's just one more of devastating reminder in 2021 of, you know, health is wealth and, um, treat people with care and love while they're here. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that's actually a perfect segue because, Last night, I attended a, a, a screening, a premiere for a documentary about Ralph McDaniels and Video Music Box. It's called You're Now Watching Video Music Box. And it was produced by Mass Appeal, uh, you know, the company that um, Nas has a, a stake in, and uh, also Uncle Ralph Productions. And it was at the Harlem uh, Magic Johnson Theater, which was, was great. And it was like a who's who of people from that era. You know, I sat directly behind Slick Rick and uh, Grandmaster Kaz, and I got the photo receipts to prove it. Um, <laughs> Crazy Legs was in the building. Of course, Uncle Ralph. Um, Nas was sitting right in front of us, like maybe two seats down. Um, it was a lot of legends in the building. And there were some technical difficulties. You know, um, the, the, the video was out of sync and with some starts and stops. But it didn't matter because the documentary was so great and the crowd was really rooting for it. And it truly told the story of Ralph and how he rose and, you know, what he had to do, the, the, the fight he had to make to get video music box on the air. And, um, you know, you know, the background that he had with his family and you know, people having cameras that allowed him to be one of the, um, you know, the first people to think about, you know, I should take a camera and capture this kind of stuff. This is way before phones or even camcorders. He had 1983. The big lights and everything, you know, so it was a big production to be able to do that. So there's a reason why this stuff wasn't documented. And, you know, many of the, the incredible classic clips that we've showcased that many have seen, even like the joint where Nas is like freestyling and, and your man is like wiping his face and stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, Biggie and, and, uh, and Method Man on stage, like just all sorts of stuff. Um, that you, we would have never seen were it not for Video Music Box. And it was the precursor to Yo! MTV Raps and Rap City. And, um, you know, like so many other stories, it tells a tale of uh, a Black entrepreneur who was a, you know, a pioneer in something and ultimately didn't get the big payday that you would expect for the impact that he has. But his legacy... Uh, lives on and he's Uncle Ralph and you know um, you know without him there would be no Puff there would be no Jay there would be no Eminem and Tupac and all these people and you see that in the footage and many of those people are, are actually featured in the film too it's outstanding it's it's in, on Showtime and I highly recommend everyone watch it it is the first of three that Mass Appeal is putting together uh, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of hip hop, which is coming up. They've also got a, a dope um, like exhibit. Um, personal highlight for me, my son, 17 years old, 
Um, his favorite album is Illmatic. He's got a the, the, the quote that the world is yours in his yearbook. In honor of Nas, um, I was able to get him, you know, a quick, you know, um, hello with Nas and a, and a great picture. So yeah, man, um, great, great night, great way to end uh, to to end the week. But Ralph McDaniel's someone getting his flowers, and he's gotten his flowers a number of times. But this is a real, like, lasting legacy uh, to a living legend, you know. And so it was great to be a part of that. Yeah, and I, I truly, I think this film is a step in the right direction. Ralph has incredible archives. I mean, we've you you. Through you, we've gotten to work with Ralph, and I believe that Ralph, after all of the the years of sweat and sacrifice and hard work, I think that Ralph will, um, the, the best is yet to come for what he's done for the culture. I truly, truly believe that, and what a dedicated, great individual, and um, yeah, I uh, shout out to Showtime and Mass Appeal. I'm, I'm eager to tune in. Yeah, and also a lot of community service, you know, um, he has prided himself on doing both entertaining, but also educating and helping raise people. And um, the the film highlights that too, and he still continues to do that work to this day, so. Did they talk much about um, the music videos? Like I know Ralph did stuff for Black Moon and Gangstar yeah. and us. It's all there, man. Yeah, it's word. It's there, it's like, it's really, really dope. Uh, so yeah. I think anyone who rocks with AFH will, will appreciate that. My son, Again, he's 17 and didn't know probably 95% of the participants in the documentary. Still came away kind of blown away and understanding the impact that, that Ralph has had. Man, I, uh, I love that. Well, you know, as we close it down, any new music you've heard this week of note? Yeah, you know, not a ton out uh, that I, that I, I, I peep, but the Nick Grant, which you put me on, uh, you know, Carolina Diaries, uh, just a four-song EP, Huge fan of Nick. We had him perform at our South by Southwest showcase back in the day. Um, you know, I put him in the back room, I believe. He just, I've always been a huge fan of, of Nick Grant and um, still think that, you know, he's got like a, a come up coming, you know. So um, that was dope. And I got to dig into it a little bit more. Um, how about you? Yeah, you put Automatic on the playlist. I, it's a four pack, um, Carolina Diaries. I've been. Heavy duty rotation on that. Uh, Mock Hami put out a new album. Uh, no surprise there. I mean, one of the most prolific guys, just like West Side Gun. Um, you know, two projects I'll just quickly spotlight. Yeah, where is that Hami? I saw a story about it, but I looked on Apple and, and uh, Spotify and I wasn't able to find it. Oh, it's on Spotify. I listened today. And um, yeah, man, I, I really enjoyed it. Nicholas Craven, who we've talked about a couple of times here, has done a lot of the stuff with Ransom this year and Rome Streets and Droog, um, produces a bulk of it. Uh, it's like 20, it's like less than half an hour, but it moves really smoothly. Um, and he has a, it closes with a song that you will really appreciate. I think it's called Love Self, like Love Self. Um, and it's all about really what we just talked about, um, you know, health is wealth and how he, you know, really looks at, you know, his physical, his mental, his, his spiritual um, differently, you know, and I'm sure that what we've seen in 2021 in the hip hop space has a lot to do with that. Um, I liked it. There's some joints. Um, yeah. Check it out. Let me know what you think. Um, Cause I think he's going to be somebody we talk about very soon as we kind of look back at 2021. Um, two other projects that I'll shout out. Um, you know, we talk a lot about Wu-Tang on here. Um, you know, there's the collective family tree. And I want to give a shout out to Remedy, who people may remember. I mean, Remedy went to high school with um, a lot of the woo, like meth, 
um, inspect the deck, I believe. Uh, Staten Island guy, you know, a lot of people may remember, you know, from the late 90s, he was he was the white dude in the crew. But more than that, I mean, Remedy has made, um, you know, we're still, you know, closing down Hanukkah right now. And Remedy made one of the most important records, I think, you know, as far as Judaism, he made the hip hop Holocaust record, um, Never Forget, which was on the Wu-Tang Killer Bees album, gold album in 97. Um, and he's very much become a behind the scenes dude with Wu. He's put out a lot of the records we've seen with Inspected Deck and Capadonna, but he put out a joint called Remedy Meets Wu-Tang. Um, and it's got a lot of the Wu brothers on it. And I mean, this is a year where, I mean, obviously, you know, the guys have, have been busy, you know, working with the series and that, um, you know, and there have been some great individual songs, but there haven't been huge albums. I mean, obviously Deck did a new Zarface, but what's cool about this is he's got RZA involved. He's got Meth. He's got Ghost, Cappadonna, Masticilla. Um, and then, you, you know, other guys, Conway the Machine. I really encourage um, people to check that out if you're a Wu-Tang fan. There's a joint on there called Crazy Eights with Meth, Ghost, Deck, um, Masticilla, Cappadonna, Solomon Childs, and Street Life. And to me, you know, I mean, we've had some cool individual cuts this year, but that's one of the best, like, Wu Posse records. Um, so I want to give an acknowledgement there. And uh, being that I'm in Philadelphia today, you know, I want to give a shout out to another artist that I often feel doesn't um, get the media love he deserves. And that's Reef the Lost Cause. Um, you know, we've covered Reef on AFH. You know, he's done incredible things with Sean Price, RIP, Snow Goons. He was he's part of uh, Army of the Pharaohs, AOTP, and, you know, which was the Jedi Mind Tricks offshoot. But he put out an album, it's only on Bandcamp and YouTube, called Reef the Lost Causes Alive. Um, and I've been playing that a lot. It's, it's kind of a mixtape um, with some familiar beats. I'm not going to sample Snitch over here. But he's got a joint called Ain't No Angels and another joint called Look At Me Go, the final two songs on the album. They have stuck to my ribs. And I often tell people, I mean, Reef, when I look at Philly MCs, Reef is absolutely in my top 10 of all time. Damn near my top five. And absolutely 100% um, top five Philly performers. And this is a hard city to perform hip hop in. I mean, this is the city that Black Thought cut his teeth in, Schooly D, you know, uh, Freeway and Beans. And if you've ever seen Reef on stage, I don't care if he's opening or he's the headliner, he will make you uh, a massive fan. And I will always, you know, plant a flag and, and raise my voice on his behalf. So I encourage everyone to check that out. And then just one other joint that I, I learned existed. I played it through one time, not enough to comment on it. Um, Styles P and Havoc, you know, a uh, Locks Mob Deep connection. They made an album together called Wreckage Manor, produced by Havoc. And shout out to Hav. He was our very first guest on uh, on this show. And uh, one of one of, you know, one of my favorite episodes, we got to talk to him about the 25th anniversary of the infamous. So if you're new to this podcast, man, check that one out. That's a special conversation. Word. And since you mentioned the Wu Posse cut, um, I also will talk about Paige Kennedy. Mm. Paige Kennedy, um, a lot of people may know as an actor. He was in a film called The Meg, with, uh, which was a shark film, but also U-Turn on the show Weeds, Showtime also um, with Mary Louise Parker. Uh, really um, a memorable character on there, but Paige for the last several years has really been um, also very passionate about his rap career and has been a friend to AFH, another person who performed on our South by Southwest showcase that same year that Nick Grant did. 
Tore it down. Uh, yeah, from Detroit, you know, uh, so really it prides himself on true lyricism, you know, um, is down with Els High and, uh, and Royce and like, you know, really a part of that crew. And he can rap, he can rap his ass off. And so, um, you know, he put out a mixtape and the final song is uh, Grand Finale 2021. And it's a remake of the DOC song, The Grand Finale featuring Easy e Ice Cube, uh, Ren, and the DOC. And that was one of my favorite, like, posse cuts ever. Like, Easy and Ice Cube's verses were just insane and, like, quotable. They, they said stuff that was, like, up there with Nas's, like, uh, you know, um, his um, his verse from uh, Live at the Barbecue. Uh, mm. Punchlines. I, I can't even I can't even say them. It's so controversial. But um this one features uh Royce who's only hosting, you know, who just kinda you know, tease up um tease up the uh, Which is what Dre did on the original, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. so tease up the participants and then uh it's Paige, uh, my son, Graf, three D Nati, Ransom, who's you know, we we've talked about uh, his his recent album with Rome Streets is incredible, Lot Smith, and then King Crooked, um, you know, formerly known as Crooked Eye. And everyone, like, you know, does their thing. In my opinion, Crooked and Paige just absolutely black out. But that's a cool listen, and it's uh, at the, at, on the Ambrose for Heads playlist on Spotify, so check that out. Um, but with that being said, what's your song of the week? Yo, man, I'll give it to Reef. I'll go with the Look At Me Now joint or Look At Me Go joint. Um, he says a lot in that, and uh, that's been heavy-duty rotation. What about you? I'm going to go with uh, Nas's One Love, but mm. the Cook and Soul remix. Uh, Cook and Soul put out a project where they remixed a bunch of Illmatic songs a few years ago, and they did so with, with soul samples. And the One Love joint. So One Love, I know not your favorite on Illmatic. It's actually one of my favorites. I love Q-Tip's beat on it. But this is such a, a wildly different like reinvention of it, and it, it's but it just fits so well, and and it feels like Nas wrote the beat in like the actual studio. Uh, but I, I encourage everyone to check that one out. It's on YouTube. But um, one love cooking soul remix. So. Yeah, and before you get me killed out here too, I I think Q-Tip's beat is dope. I think Nas's verse is dope. I've never really loved where it lives in Illmatic, and and I obviously hold Illmatic in the highest regard. What I like about this remix is it kind of reminds me of G-Rap and Nas' Fast Life. They inject some melody and a totally different take on the record. And um, yeah, I was not from. I'm a Cook and Soul fan. I wasn't up on that one until I think you sent it to me a while back, and then you sent it again this week. Um, but it actually sent me down a rabbit hole. And they they recently put out an album of them kind of paying homage to doom that's on all the dsps and if you aren't up on cooking soul you need to be and that was a great reminder for me didn't you say that all eyes on me is the only album more overrated than illmatic <laughs> <laughs> yo <laughs> i'm sorry i didn't mean to put a hit out of that is that is not that is that is not true that is not true uh yeah Dear world, I get enough hate lately. Uh, <laughs> nah, man. But um, that's cool. That's cool. And, and shout out to, you know, it's funny. Um, one of our readers said the other on our last episode, they're like, yo, new music. You didn't talk about the page joint. But then I saw it on your playlist. And uh, I love the fact that people, you know, care that much and pay that much attention. Um, it's comments like that that are why we do it and why we just take this thing so seriously. I did my, I did my Spotify wrapped and uh, this podcast is the most podcast I've listened to all year. 
Um, so I, I do I do care about the playback too. You're not only a member, you're a fan. Uh, <laughs> Hair club um, for men. Yeah. yeah, shout out to that person. That's really dope. We appreciate anyone who has made it this far and uh, continues to support. So uh, next time, man, um, much appreciated. Likewise, man. Until we do it again, and uh, RIP Virgil. Word. Peace.